Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves and kicking things off for us tonight. New single from Medicine Singers featuring Lee Ronaldo and Jonathan Gatt, uh, also featuring Daniel Monkman of Zune on vocals as well. That's Honor Song, playing that one in honor of our newly sworn-in premier, Wab Canoe. Uh, Zune opening for Jeremy Dutcher one of the guests on this show. That's coming up a little later. Also coming up later, Edmonton's Audrey Ochoa, who is going to be performing with the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra on Sunday at the West End Cultural Centre. But before we get to that, Winnipeg's own Sean Burns is releasing his new album, Lost Country, next week. And he joined me to talk about the record. Before we get to Sean and his music, Jerry Leger with Slow Night in Nowhere Town. It's a busy night here in Winnipeg, 101.5 UMFM. Stabbing cigarettes in the middle last tree Picking fights and standing your ground But nothing's there, just the mirror and you Slow night in nowhere town Another coffee on a breathtaking day But have nothing to talk about Things drying up in my writing pen Slow night in nowhere town Slow night in nowhere town I get all out in a mirror ball She's the only soul around I've found Pours me another when the song is done Snow night in nowhere town Main drag was once a parade Now it always looks closed down Guess I'm walking alone again Snow night in nowhere town Snow night in nowhere town I get all I can From the giving hand Snake bit, but I ain't dead I've seen this movie a thousand times Snow night in nowhere town Snow night in nowhere town Snow night in 
All right. Well, folks here in Winnipeg, certainly no strangers to Sean Burns' love of country music. Another dose coming out on October 27th with the release of Lost Country. He joins us on the show to talk about the record. Welcome, Sean. Thanks very much for having me here today, Michael. So, uh, I mean, did this grow out of Boots and Saddle? Like, like was this kind of a, you know, your own listening habits leading into this record? Or was this record kind of a, a project aside and apart from Boots and Saddle? Like, what, what was the genesis of Lost Country? There's no way that the record happens without hosting Boots and Saddle. And, like, that goes back to, you know, for day one, when I began hosting December of 2016, and I fancied myself a knowledgeable country music person. And and I wasn't not that, but it it, it certainly grew exponentially. You know, when I began hosting that show, I had a, a very um, – a, a very uh, adept uh, – in. Uh, how do I say this? I really knew my shit when it came to Bakersfield country music, to Barroom, Honky Tonk, Buck Owens, Merle Haggard, Wynn Stewart. I did a lot of time with Hank Williams Records, uh, and I did a lot of time with Memphis Johnny Cash stuff. So, you know, I had you know the, the, the pillars. I had George Jones Records. Uh, I had Loretta Lynn Records. But I didn't really, like, dig, dig super deep. And I had heard all of these Canadian names from my father, who was a musician and 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 really active in the scene in the 70s and 80s in Toronto and across Canada. So I knew these names, Roy Payne and Dick Dameron and Chef Adams, and they didn't mean much to me, but I knew who they were. And then I started hosting the show, and, and I was uh, eager and uh, green, and I would follow all of the rules uh, in terms of, you know, the Canadian content and the new releases and then uh, my friend Grant Siemens, who helped me produce the record, and he's been playing on all my stuff for the last six years, uh, suggested that my show would be a whole lot better if I just did whatever I wanted to. And so I started to do that, and then my show got a lot better. And then, you know, I was having a hard time finding new releases by Canadian artists that were the kind of country music that I liked. So I started digging deep. I thought, you know, what were all those names? There's, you know, I got those records from my dad and my collection, the Dick Dameron records and Roy Payne and Joe Firth. And so I started spinning that on the on the air. And uh, I've been down this sort of rabbit hole as a country music singer and artist. And I feel it's important to check all the boxes. You know, the, all the big stars in the 60s and 70s had theme records. If it was, you know, prison songs or gospel record or breakup songs or cheating songs or whatever you know the theme was mm -hmm. so we did our bakersfield record we did our trucking record and then i thought you know it would be really great and it would tie in really well with my boots and saddle show and with the northern report podcast if we would shine the light on these uh these regional singers from the 60s and 70s who who made great records but you know you would have you would have bought them at the department store or at the drugstore, or maybe off of the stage, but there's no widespread distribution. So when you find these records now, they're in, you know, thrift stores, or you're on Discogs.com, and you're spending forty dollars to ship a record, but it's worth it because it's a rare sixty-year-old record from, you know, live on stage at the Drake Hotel in Toronto in 1962. It's like, yeah, you gotta have that. You gotta have it. So that's kind of what happened. And then I thought, you know, let's let's let's, let's do a record of these of these. Uh, these songs and these people and the ones that mean the most. And we'd already been doing a few of them in our show, uh, live show. So uh, so that's kind of how it happened, you know. But mm -hmm. if I wasn't doing Boots and Saddle and digging around and really taking an interest in this stuff that moved me so much, then, then no, this record doesn't happen without uh, Sheldon Burney handing over the reins to me, uh, you know, six years ago. 
So Seven ma- years ago. You mentioned your dad, you know, saying these names, knowing these names. Like, did he play these records for you growing up? Like, was that, were you exposed uh, to the actual music or was it just like you knew it was kind of part of his fabric? Well, he played with a fellow named Joe Firth for from 1981 to 84. And Joe was a, you know, was a national touring artist. He had, he had a label. He would be on the, you know, he was on, say, the Tommy Hunter show, which was broadcast nationally on CBC. So he had a bit of a name. And so that was like the, my dad's first real good gig. So I knew Joe Firth and I knew we had all of his records and I, and I'd heard live recordings. And then we covered a guy named Barry Smith, who literally, I mean, I, I mean, Barry Smith, played in the worst dirtiest east end of toronto beer drinking bars and never had a career uh you know a quote unquote career but he was a really great songwriter so i knew barry we covered one of his tunes and then i'd heard about some of the other people and then roy Payne is a name that comes up a lot for me uh roy Payne is elusive he's the only one i haven't been able to track down that i've been really looking to track down to interview but uh, i knew his record roy payne number two it was the second record came out in 1970 and i knew it because there was a guitar player named mickey mcgivern who was my father's hero and he was the guy around town he, he mickey mcgivern played guitar on over 350 sessions mostly for arc records in toronto did his own records but he mostly led the band so i knew i knew a few of those uh, that you know were kind of uh, suggested to me as uh, you know uh, essential listening as as a young young person for sure now you mentioned discogs like were you going in and typing in like the names of some guys you knew to see like who all they'd played with or what albums they appeared on or like oh yeah man Uh, hours hours on discogs i originally started going there as a research tool for hosting the radio program because for me I tried to host in in a way that, that that would interest me if I was a listener so I really like to have the details who produced the record who played on it where they did it all of that stuff and and that's 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 more easy easily available on discogs.com and then I started to buy the records I was like well I gotta have this one because so many of them are are only available you know maybe someone's ripped it down to YouTube from their mm-hmm. record player but it's tough to find them so uh, I just started buying them and uh, and I had a real good database of research and information and then I interviewed a, a number of old veterans and uh, could kind of dig in more and get some more information but yeah, I mean, that's been such a valuable resource, that website. Now, I mean, there's a plethora of releases from, from that era. Like like you said, you know, it's regionally released and sold off the side of the stage or in a gas station or something. Once you track them down, though, how do you determine, like, the, the 10 that end up on this record? Like, how do you how do you decide from amongst all of that? Uh, well, we were... Uh, uh, <laughs> We always do our our scheming and our planning when we're on on the road, usually driving or or eating. Grant and I, that is. And uh, when I brought this idea to him, we started talking about, well, who would we cover? And so there was like at least half of the album, maybe more, was like, I know for sure we got to do this song from Joe Firth. We definitely have to do Danny Eddy's song. Definitely Roy Payne, Chef Adams. Uh, Dick Dameron it was like so that you know that's half and and that was a hundred percent we were gonna find songs by those people we kind of already knew you know we were gonna do some signature songs by these artists and and then ones that we already were playing and then the other ones it was kind of up for debate so we kind of hashed through honestly not that many like maybe there was five or five to seven that were 
considered and then chopped at the end it was like how are these all going to jive up together you know what's what's going to be the best musically what do i sing the best how you know how's it all going to work as one cohesive record and uh and we picked our 10 and then and then a few months later or yeah a few months later we were taking a walk and we uh determined the sequencing of the record together it's like it all just sort of made sense so you said, you know, the ones that you can sing, like, are there ones outside your range that you would have liked to done? But like, admittedly, like you just that's that's not a song for you. Uh, it was less about that with with these, because uh, respectfully, uh, a lot of these people that we covered, you know, most of them weren't especially gifted. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they're not like uh, world beater singers, a lot of them or or even great writers they're you know they're just what so whatever it was it was more uh like i can't see myself singing that or that's not really subject matter for me that that, that i want that i'm you know interested in or that i feel like i can sell as as the performer and then uh yeah because if songs are too high or too low or whatever in your register you can always adjust you know adapt you know so mm -hmm. that was not a not a problem but uh yeah it was more about the, sort of the essence of the songs the recording of it did you <clears throat> give some thought to how like those records were originally recorded in terms of thinking about kind of the space and the sound or was it you know i'm going to do what i do now in the contemporary times but just honor these songs through my no performance? no we we went so we went to toronto uh a fellow named chris stringer he runs a place called union sound company and they do a lot of stuff that's way way out of my wheelhouse like like really hip music and like uh, Toronto folk singers, like CBC radio darlings. Like a lot of that, a lot of that goes on at uh, union sound company, but Stringer's a, a great, a great musical resource. He's made records for David Wilcox and, and all kinds of uh, different bands and rock bands. And, and he loves country music. So he was our guy, him and Grant are old friends. And another reason he was our guy is because he had a lot of old gear and we could fly to Toronto with nothing except mm. our backpacks. And I was playing a guitar from the 40s and Grant was playing all these vintage guitars and amps that Chris had at his studio or in his personal collection. He was really kind enough to share with us. So he had the gear and uh, and then Colin Cripps, who's a friend of theirs, Colin plays guitar for Blue Rodeo these days, played with Kathleen Edwards and made her records for years. <clears throat> He's another gear junkie like Stringer. So he had this old tape machine from the 60s. Uh, similar to or the exact brand of of this 60s tape machine that they would have made those records on uh, in those days that, of the people that we were covering so we recorded with this you know old gear uh finicky fussy old instruments and amplifiers uh, into stringer's system and then we ran those mixes through the old tape machine to give it a bit more of that sort of uh you can get you know you lose a little bit of low end it's a little bit more of an am radio thing mm -hmm. and it was recorded and released in mono so it's it's a whole different situation you know and uh so it does sound a little bit a little bit old, more vintage i guess uh but without insisting on itself and as far as our performances like you know, we're respectful to the things that we're covering and the people and the parts, but you're going to do it like, like your own, like yourself. Like when Grant Siemens plays guitar, it sounds like Grant, you know, no matter what, no matter if he's uh, playing like Keith Richards or Jerry Garcia or Don Rich, like it's still, it's still, you know, at the heart of it, it's you. So yeah, that's kind of how we did it, you know, and, uh, and a big part of it all, another thing is that the band, all of the musicians that I hired, other than Grant and I, were mostly 
60, 60 years older or older, and they had been playing in the bars, in the taverns, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, when it was six nights a week, 50 weeks a year. So they kind of had a really good and deep understanding of that music, and they could help us with arrangements and stuff like that. So ultimately, people would say, Sean, what do you think of this? Let's do it like this. And then we would kind of hash it out, and then the old guys would chime in. Well, you know, the bands on Queen Street in Toronto used to play a song like this this way and the bands on young street would play it this way so i think we should you know kind of do it this other more sort of honky tonk dirty greasy queen street way and that's kind of you know those guys were such a valuable resource uh, to play on the record and share their experiences with this really sort of specific barroom honky tonk music did you track those guys down through doing the show like how did you end up with those that crop of well, musicians a few of them, yeah. Like the core band, uh, Mike Weber and Paul Weber are brothers, play pedal steel guitar and bass guitar, respectively. And they uh, played in Joe Firth's band with my father in the 80s. So Mike Weber, the steel player, who's really the star of the record, uh, he was at my parents' house like five days after I was born. In fact, there's a picture of, of us in the in the sleeve and the, on the vinyl uh, of my dad and Mike Weaver and, and me when I'm like, like literally like a week old. So we go back and those guys still play and sing great. And I knew they had to be on the record. They were there. They were such a huge part of it. They've been a part of my family for 40 years. And then the drummer was a guy from Hamilton named Sean O'Grady. Sean toured a lot with Tommy Hunter. He played with really uh, respectable regional country singers and uh, and then moving forward in his career like more r&b and blues he's a fantastic drummer i would uh i would equate sean o'grady to someone locally like ken mcmahon who's a great blues drummer plays with brent parkin and the perpetrators uh, they're kind of cut from the same cloth and sean hilarious guy really good person to be around really lightens the mood that's also important you know i think when you're working so closely in studio settings and so there was the core band, and they were guys that I knew since I was a kid, and uh, and I knew they would be a great, great unit. And then, you know, we called in some other people, Red Folkart, who lives in Virginia now. He's originally Canadian, and, and he played with Merle Haggard through the 90s, and I interviewed Red uh, on my podcast. So that was kind of the connection there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a couple of the other people that flew parts in, I just I just reached out to them and told them told them my situation. And for the most part, I, I get, you know, responses from from some of those musicians and some of the people that I'm trying to interview, they're kind of surprised that someone would be interested in their, their, their story and their perspective. Is that, is it just like that they think that time has passed or that like that, that particular brand of country is not, you know, au courant. So people aren't interested in those stories. I think so. And I think some of them, I mean, <laughs> don't look at their body of work well, with the same affection or respect that that maybe I am, uh, you know, they're, 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 it's like it'd be like someone tracking me down in 40 years and asking me about playing at the times changed. And uh, so some of them were suspicious because this is not they're not performing on any kind of grand scale. And then the odd one would have a big story about, you know, being on a national TV show or being on being on the uh, Wheeling, West Virginia Jamboree in the 60s or something like that. Or, you know, one time they you know, met George Hamilton, the fourth, like, you know, it's not even like they're meeting George Jones. So, mm. so they didn't have, you know, uh, household names. They didn't have big careers, but they, they were, you know, blue collar middle-class individuals that, that made their lives playing music. And, and I don't think it should be discounted because it was not on the charts or not handed some award, you know, like there is some really, really good music that no one's ever heard. And, uh, and maybe, maybe someone will like, 
one or two of the songs that we did and and they'll they'll go to discogs and, and try to find the al hooper record i was gonna say at the very least they've got an entry on discog so even if they yeah, exactly. uh, were on a regional <laughs> exactly. thing it's uh you know yeah time is a flat circle when you go on a place like that you know you can oh, yeah. get attached to certain guys or go down rabbit holes you mentioned the times changed uh the album releases of course at the times changed are you doing the record front to back that night what's the plan well we were just having some good uh Good debates about this yesterday. I think what's going to happen, uh, it's a Friday, October 27th at the Times Changed High in Molson Club. Uh, our friend Amy Nelson's coming from Calgary to open with her group. She's a captivating performer. She's she's fantastic. It's her first time uh, coming east of Saskatchewan. So we're excited to bring her out here. She's going to play some other shows in town uh, following ours. And then we're going to go up and we've been operating, you know, Lost Country was a, a four piece and then a five piece for so long. And then we eventually started operating as a trio grant siemens and joanna miller and i so i think we're gonna uh open the program with a handful of the trio songs and then give mike weber a proper introduction he's flying in from kitchener ontario for the show uh he, you know i said he's the star of the record it was uh, there's no one that plays pedal steel guitar like mike uh anywhere near here so we got to bring him in and so we'll give him his due and we'll introduce him and then he'll come up and then we'll play the full record and then we'll play some other sort of scattered singles that we had recorded uh, last year. And then we'll take a break and then we'll come back and we'll do a big long set of all the uh, all the hits and misses of our catalog. Well, before I let you go, Sean, I want to get you to pick a track off Lost Country that we can play for listeners to give them a taste of what's going to be like on the 27th. Uh, and if you have a reason why you're picking that song in particular, I'd love to hear it. Ooh. Next Friday on the 20th, we're going to be releasing a new single and there's going to be a video. Uh, it's for a song called Before She Made Me Crawl. Before She Made Me Crawl was written by a fella named Larry Code. And Larry Code, for you uh, nerds like myself, uh, will know that he's a very prolific songwriter in Canadian country music through the late 70s and into the 80s, and a producer and a band leader. And he took an interest in a singer named Harold McIntyre. And Harold had a certainly had a regional hit with uh, Before She Made Me Crawl. There's a video of him on the Tommy Hunter show, I think, in 81 or 82. And him and Larry were really great partners. And uh, so that's the song that I would choose. It's just a nice country music shuffle. It's a, a good dancer. You know, it's a, a mid-tempo honky-tonk country music shuffle that is, you know, makes up a, a huge portion of this record. I think if you've never heard the song and you listen to the record, you might be able to point out that this one, you know, uh, ha had had what it took to be, you know, even a, even a regional hit. Good song. All right, well, we'll give that one a listen. October 27th, the day of the album, the day of the show at the Times Change. Sean, uh, congrats on the new record, and thanks for taking some time to talk about it. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks for having me, and thank you to you and all the folks there at uh, 101.5 for the strong, strong support in all of my releases here the last number of years. Learn to walk before you can run. You must feel some hurt before you taste pleasures of love. But be careful, boy. Be sure you know the price you've got to pay. You see, I'm paying for it dearly every day. She took. Something that I don't want to be 
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, Sean Burns with Before She Made Me Crawl off of Lost Country. I believe this coming Tuesday, Sean will be back on Boots and Saddles doing a special show. Check that one out over on CKUW. Uh, Last week's guest, Apollo Sons. This is the second night of their two-night stint for uh, Departures. If you're into that band and you want to relive last night's show or are looking to, uh, you know, console yourself that you're not at it tonight... Brisbane act Endless Valley, kind of in the same vein with a new single called The Sun for you. And then coming up right after that, my interview with Audrey Ochoa, who is playing with the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra on Sunday afternoon. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
All right, well, coming to play with the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra this Sunday afternoon at the West End Cultural Center, Edmonton's Audrey Ochoa joins me on the show. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So a gig like this where you come in and and guest with a, a jazz orchestra, how much experience do you have kind of like playing with a group you don't always play with and and how easy a transition is that for you um well i started doing this sort of thing in around 2018 um the first the first big band actually that i was guesting with was the one o'clock lab band from the university of north texas um and you go there i already know that the band is going to be quality and that's true of the winnipeg jazz orchestra as well because they have such a great reputation so it's really not an adjustment it's like a it's an it's a how you do it's an introduction. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, there you go. Do, do you get like a little bit of rehearsal with them or what? What? I'll be getting some rehearsal with them tomorrow night. They've already rehearsed my tune, so I send my I send my music in advance, and then the players get a chance to look at it. And there's some reference recordings, and then we put it all together in a in a rehearsal. And of course, of course, Joel Green, who is uh, directing. He, you know, he directs the band, he cleans things up, answers any questions so that by the time I get there, everything's just plug in and play, essentially. Does that dynamic work for you as a creative artist? Like, does it remove any of kind of the spontaneity or does does that kind of like preciseness help in some sense? I think it actually adds some spontaneity. Um, every rhythm section is going to approach these songs a little differently and same with every you know the saxophones might interpret something a little bit differently and that's actually really fun for me um is seeing how a different group will interpret my music Uh, and like and just philosophically i think that's the fun part of jazz music in general is seeing how different groups are going to put a spin on what you do and that's it's true across the board i've taken this music i've played it in uh, north carolina and texas i did a gig with the sisters and jazz orchestra in vancouver um, and everybody plays them a little bit differently, and it's it's actually really awesome to see to see it, you know that the music can still transform after all these years. Is there anything to like? You're you're not the band leader in this situation, right? Like, there's there's someone who's like kind of directing this orchestra. There's there's someone you're kind of like giving your music over to. Is that a, a psychological leap for you, or like an emotional burden to like? F- Take no, what's uh, yours and and give it to someone else in this sense. Um, I think the nature of jazz, you know what, the nature of live performance, you are always doing that. Um, even when you're playing with the same people, uh, they, I, I would hope that they approach things differently. That that's just the nature of live jazz, I think. And I've played in in groups that, you know, from like musicals, for example, where they want the exact same product, the exact same performance every single show, and that's. I find that stifling creatively mm. um, to be striving for this mastery that mu- music to me is a conversation and you don't want to have the same conversation over and over again. You stop calling that person because <laughs> it's boring. Uh, so, so no, I don't find it stifling or, or um, I think it's really fun. Is that like the, maybe the difference between a jazz crowd and a, and a theater crowd, like the theater crowd would want, the performance they saw on a Thursday to be the same performance that someone else sees on a Friday versus like a a, a jazz crowd probably goes in with the anticipation that this is never going to be replicable. I would hope so. Um, That's the fun. That's the fun for me is that it can be different. I mean, and that the quality is always going to be high, but that um, people will bring different influences and they'll bring different emotional, you know, uh, states of being, and they will bring that to a performance. That's why, that's why this music is, I think, engaging. 
Right. And has, yeah. Now the, the song list for this show, like you have a new record. Is it mostly focused on the new record or is it, you know, dipping into to past releases? What's, how, how do you it's, guys build a structure? I think there is, I think there's a, um, an arrangement from all four of my albums, but there's two that we're doing from my new release. I just released that a month ago. And, uh, yeah, it's not focused on any one album, though I am pr currently promoting a fourth, the fourth album. But they're they're all of a similar vein, um, a lot of sort of Latin influence, funk influence uh, charts on this show. So meaning that the songs that are on this show are all like in that in that vein, not necessarily that all your music is in that vein is what you're saying. No, but yeah. the a lot of the music from this is. But I mean, there's also a, I should, maybe I shouldn't have said that because there is a variety in the programming. Um, I'm getting to sing a couple. There's like a blues one from my third album where I'm singing. There's a fun, you know what? I'm going to take back what I said. Sure. <laughs> no, it's pretty, it's actually a pretty diverse program when I think about it. It's just the two new ones. The, so the, the, the big band arrangement from the very first album, Snap, Crackle, Flop is on. And that's one of my Latin jazz for very first Latin jazz pieces I ever wrote. And then there's two from the new album that are also both Latin jazz. So I guess that's what I meant. <laughs> but no, I think it's covering a lot of different, a lot of different styles on this show. Sure. You mentioned singing. I, I read an interview that you, you when, you know, when it comes to writing, maybe trombone is last when it comes to the instruments that you write on. Is that true? Um, yes, yes, that isn't totally true. When I'm composing, I'm at, I'm either sitting at a piano or I'm, with a guitar and you know just like a singer songwriter i will be humming a melody along with with chords or i'll just straight up be writing words and sometimes those words the lyrics never make it to the album because i you know have to play the trombone and for the first time on this fourth album i did end up singing a, a tune but because i'm so into pop music and uh like writing with words just comes is feels very natural just because I'm I'm steeped in popular music and lyrics and melody are you know so intertwined yeah the the interview also mentioned you know that you it, it, as much as there are trombonists to look to in terms of you know past past musicians that you know you you hope your voice sounds like Kitana Veloso or so you know like like an actual singer that, that oh my you're... gosh I love Kitana Veloso did I I mentioned Kitana Veloso in an interview once yeah Wow, I swear, okay. I, I swear, I made note of that because I mean, his voice in particular, I mean, is is fantastic. Love, but yeah. just that, like, you're using your instrument as a voice, right? Like, we often yes. think about you know vocalists mimicking or trying to like embody an instrument. You're, you've kind of flipped this that you're you're trying to make the trombone a, a, as expressive as as a veloso. Absolutely, yes, a hundred percent. Um. I mean, I, I listen to singers more than I listen to in instrumentalists. And I think that, I mean, singers are the best at phrasing uh, because they have, they're, they're telling an actual story with their words. So emulating what they do, um, that's, that is what I strive for. Absolutely. So when you're humming along as you're, you know, writing on, on the piano or something, are you thinking of specific voices in your head? Like, or are you hearing a, a specific singer on a specific song? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's style dependent, right? If I'm, um, if I'm trying to write something beautiful, like <laughs> Keitana Veloso song, uh, the, the one that I, and actually we're playing this piece on the concert. It's from my second album. It's a trio song called There You Were. And I was 
just sitting down to write a love song in the style of Caetano Veloso, in that in that sort of gentle cucurucuru paloma style. And uh, that's what popped out. So, you know, I haven't had to think about writing that song in a very long time. But yes, I'm, I'm trying to emulate certain singers of a genre. Um, on the fourth album, there's a song called Miss Lestrassi, which we're also playing on the show, where I am desperately trying to emulate Beyonce. Uh, <laughs> and her phrasing and she's very rhythmic and uh yeah yeah, that's yeah i would say yeah true. like a much more percussive uh approach yes. to vocals right like exactly I, I would think like as far as instruments go kitano veloso is more like a, like a, a violin or something right like yeah super connected and like that very sensitive vibrato and and you know like long phrases he i mean he has he has very percussive songs as well but um, I was trying to emulate his ballad style. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah with Lestrassi, it's like, it, yeah, Beyonce's got this whole speak, sing era of hers right now. That's what I was trying to emulate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that the, the, the one of the tracks you're doing was a trio track from the, from the second record. Did mm -hmm. you have to like rewrite charts for, for a jazz orchestra or do you just hand the song over to the WJO and say like, have at it? No, I actually had um, former Winnipegger Paul Ashwell arrange that piece for big band. So he took what was three voices, drums, bass, and trombone, and expanded it to an entire big band. And it worked really well. How did you end up playing the trombone? Was this kind of like, I mean, you know, sometimes if you're going into like junior high and they, they, you do the like tests and then they like hand you the instrument, it was it like that? Or did you purposely choose trombone? Um, well, my dad was a trumpet player. So when I was in grade five, I was like, I'm going to be a trumpet player, too. And taking lessons with him sucked. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, this isn't going to work. Uh, but he also had a trombone in the basement. So my older sister had picked saxophone and my twin sister picked flute. And I I just um, I have this like pseudo, you know, voodoo belief that the right instrument will find you. So <laughs> um, I did end up with the trombone in grade seven and I just never put it down. Something about the brass, like the way it, the way you produce sound on a brass instrument, it was like it's kind of intimate, and I, I really, I really enjoyed the sound of it, and I really liked where it where it functions in in bands as well. Uh, when you're in a concert band in junior high or and you're in big band, the trombone generally is like a support inside voice role. It's not usually out front, and that was like an, a comfortable introduction for me as like a as like a teenage girl. You're not having to be out front. So at what point did you decide you wanted to be out front? Uh, when I realized how loud the thing could be. And when I started to discover trombonists like um, Lawrence Brown from the, uh, is it Lawrence Brown? <laughs> it is. From the uh, Ellington band. He did this solo on Things Ain't What They Used To Be. And, and also, uh, who's the trombonist from the SNL band from a thousand years ago? Uh, Malone. Malone. He was just in Winnipeg. Tom Malone. Um, a Blues Brothers soundtrack, he ripped this giant solo on Sweet Home Chicago. And I was like, I had no idea this instrument also had like such ferocity to it. Um, and when I discovered that, I was like, well, that sounds pretty fun. Mm -hmm. The the new record, The Head of a Mouse, the like how much prep goes into a, a record like this for you? Like how are you taking a specific period of time songs or are you, you know, pulling from songs you've written in the past and, and like reconsidering for this, them for this album specifically i had written like five songs 
uh, during, you know, sort of the downtime of the of the pandemic period, you know, 2020, uh, I had written about five and I was like, there's something here. And then um, then I realized that this is a project unto itself. This is a this is a good collection of songs. I'm going to write some more. And by the time it was all by the time I had decided on I am going to record this, I booked the dates, I've picked the band, I've I've booked everything. I had about seven more songs written. So I mean, how much time went into it? From the first song to the recording was two years. But the recording itself, uh, only we recorded that in four days. Right. So a lot so of pre-production. Like a lot of pre-production. Um, but like, honestly, the first few months of it was just writing for fun, writing for <laughs> to get my head out of the idea that I'll never be able to play trombone in public again, because that was the, uh, mm -hmm. that was the environment of the time in 2020. Uh, so there... Yeah, two years, I would say a year of planning once I decided I was going to make this recording and picked a date and got a grant and had all that ready to go, about a year. Gotcha. Well, speaking of the record, before I let you go, Audrey, I want to get you to pick a track from it that we can play for listeners. It could be one that you're playing this weekend or one you just want folks to hear, but if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Um, my current favorite track on the album is the fourth track. It's called Finger Trap. Um, it's just my favorite right now because uh, I really love, you know, technically how how it turned out. I really like the string writing. Um, I really love everybody's playing. But this song specifically was written. Um, I'm a teacher, so I was I'd written this song like on a on a prep. I had an hour of nothing, so I, I just sat down and wrote this song as a meditation on like uh, relaxing. <laughs> I'm an anxious gal. Mm. My head can spin and. Um, you know, it was during the time when we were online, offline, masks, no, no masks, like there were so many changes and uh, I, I needed to calm myself down. And I sat down and wrote this song in like, I didn't even realize that's what I was doing, uh, but I sat down and wrote this in like an hour and uh, and it turned out really well. And I listened to it when I need to calm down. So so that's 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 what I'd like to share. Sure. Does being on stage help with anxiety or does it like heighten it? I think it helps when you're when your entire body and your whole brain is focused on one task, you know, like that's actually being in the present and that's the opposite of anxiety, right? Is mindfulness is being focused on. Yeah. Mindfulness. So playing for me is is as essential to my mental health as anything else. Sure enough. Well, folks can catch you. It's an afternoon show Sunday, 2 p.m. at the West End Cultural Center alongside the Winnipeg Jazz Orchestra. It's called Trombone and Other Delights. Audrey, thanks very much for taking some time to join us on the show and safe travels here to Winnipeg. Yeah, thank you very much.
back on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition Free Range Radio, Finger Trap from her album The Head of a Mouse. That's Audrey Ochoa. My thanks to her and to Sean Burns for joining me on the show. Coming up in just a few minutes, Jeremy Dutcher, who'll be playing at the Burton Cummings Theater on the 28th. We had a great conversation that I recorded earlier this week. And before we get to that, great new single from a collaboration between Bad Bad Not Good and Charlotte Day Wilson. They've done stuff together in the past. It's always excellent. This is the new single, Sleeper. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. She was a sleeper, glad you found a dreamer, boring life is sweeter but bitter between them, moved out of the city, got your love ring, she told you it was pretty and that was the
Well, the first time we had him on, it was to play Sakahue Festival. He's back coming to the Burton's Coming Theater on October 28th. Jeremy Dutcher joins us on the show. Welcome back. Oh, it's nice to be here with you again. So the the last time we talked, uh, we were talking about how your elder Maggie Paul had kind of steered you towards the the cylinders that would become the the music on Wolasakia Lintawaganawa. Oh, is that right? Yes. There. Okay. You nailed it, man. Yeah. And and it was to preserve the the Lassakia language. And she prompted one of the songs on this new one, Mandelwanok. The the Take yeah. My Hand. She basically gave you the initial lyrics. Is is Maggie oh, always the one kind of pushing? Yeah, she's always the one. Pushing is the way to put it too. I, I love our elders so much. They're they're very instructive in how they in how they work with the young ones, um, and which is great because we all need direction. And mm. uh, she she's always like provided me uh, that throughout my life. You know, I've been going and singing with her since I was like eight years old. So like uh, she's been a, a constant presence and influence in my life. And um, yeah, like you said, she was a huge influence and part of the the first record and that how that all came together with the old songs. And it was actually, I guess about five years ago now, I was, and I still go and visit with her, you know, and uh, this time I went and we were kind of around her kitchen table. And usually we sing every time we get together. Um, and she shares a song with me and says, oh, you know, go sing this, go, go out there and sing this. Uh, but this time she sang me a song in English for the first time. And it was kind of like, you know, I didn't expect it at all. You know, it was a real surprise. Uh, and it was just that one verse to take my hand. And um, she said, go and sing this for the, for the young people. They're forgetting how to love each other. So go give them this love song. So, you know, it is that direct. You know, she really gives instructions and, and lets me know. So as a, you know, I just try to listen and, and, and write good songs underneath, you know, and um, yeah, I'm really, we put out a music video for that one just recently, actually, with um, somebody from Winnipeg, actually, uh, Gail Pruden, who's a, who's a two-spirit jingle dress dancer, uh, makes, a, makes a really important cameo. Mm. Uh, in that in that video, so uh, go check it out if you want. Well, yeah, well, I'll link to it in the in the show description for the show notes for the episode. Uh, so, writing in English, like there's you know Wolasigwe songs, like you obviously are very still much Im embodying the like the rebirth of that language. But that, as I understand it, the including English in this album is an attempt at bridging a divide between the English speakers and the indigenous population is that like yeah. kind of like the the like mentality yeah. behind it? that's that's a that's a cool way to put that like bridging divide like i think for me it was about communicatability and like uh, the fact that you know with my first record even though it was all in wulustigwe and i created it very much for wulustigwe people like the for the community mm. and yet you know all of these non-indigenous people indigenous people from different nations newcomers kind of gathered around it and wanted to know and and wanted to listen to what we had to say and and that for me was like oh well well i should talk to them then you know in a way not just sonically and through music which is the universal language and it is so easily understood by our spirit but actually talk to their heart like talk to their brain talk to talk to and maybe you can you can move them or speak to them. I guess I thought about my parents too. Like my mom's indigenous and speaks Belustigwe. That's her first language. So you know, it's 
you know, when she listens to that first album, she hears it in, in a really different way than my dad, who's not indigenous. And he's like, oh, yeah, I put it on in the background while I work, you know, right. and it's like, well, you know, that's beautiful, too. You know, I'm happy to be somebody's uh, background concentration in music. But I also want to speak to the Stephen Dutchers of the world. You know, I want to I want to I want to tell our story to him and, and to, you know, capital C Canada, because I think uh I'm, I don't know, for a long time, there wasn't good representation in, in the world when it came to Indigenous stories. Like, we weren't allowed to tell our stories, you know, in that really open way, you know. And, and a lot of people's imagery, you know, like when they think about Hollywood Indians, you know, it's like, that has nothing to do with us. You know, <laughs> you know that those were Italians that they got to play us, you know. So it's like finding a way to tell our stories, not just, you know, really from our perspective. So through our language, but also, you know, for me, it was about going that extra step and communicating with the other and, and telling stories really directly um, to them. And yet kind of trying to do both right. because, but as you're saying, you know, for me, doing it in the language and, and, and ensuring that linguistic revitalization is always a, a super important piece of what I'm trying to say and do. Um, that had to be central still, um, and yet, you know, you can still you can, we can we can have both. We can we can kind of we can talk inward and outward, to and have big conversations and little conversations all at once. No, I totally get what you're saying in terms of like the, the people can connect with the music even if they are, are not, you know, well that's a great Speaker. speakers. Yeah, totally. I, I was yeah. talking about uh, so another guest on the show is Audrey Ochoa the trombonist and she was talking about how uh, Cucuru Paloma the Kitano Veloso song like I don't speak Portuguese but it's a very emotional song and it's it speaks to me just on a like resonant level right and and the, I would say that's the same with the, the music that you sing in Ulazaquik that like that's yeah. it, it connects in, in in some way uh you you were talking about you know how things are kind of portrayed and so very curious about kind of like the, the the first record is you mostly by yourself or taking the voices of like historic recordings. This one you've brought more people into the yeah. fold. Is it then like I'm going to share my vision of Madel Wanuk, the record with these players, with, you know, Owen, with Bajia and like then right. how we then portray this to the to the larger world. Like it, it's, it, you're more of a director of the film than like, you know, the the cast member. I mean, oh yeah, what a what a question. Making making an album is such a trip. You're bringing up so many like uh, thoughts for me around like uh, what it all what it all means to bring all that together and weave that together and try to tell that story and invite, you know, be really clear about the story you want to tell, but then also inviting other people in to tell their story in in relation to yours as well. I think um, that's a really beautiful act and and quite unique to to making that album. So. Um, yeah, it, it, it is like, um, it's a really personal, there's a lot of personal stories on here. Um, and yet it is kind of that like exploration of community and it's not just even in the collaborators, but it's in the, in the, in the, in the structure, like the music of, of how, like who's in the room. Right. So the first one was very DIY. We didn't, we, basically we didn't have a lot of money. Right. So we were recording it in people's living rooms and like uh, at the university in some classroom. And like, it was just like, it was pretty DIY. Mm -hmm. uh, with this one, we had access to a little more. Right. So we had that, you know, we had an orchestra, we had a choir, I built a choir of my friends. So the choir is actually, uh, it's a very 
resonant and frequent element to this album. Um, and, and I'm very happy about that because it also, it, 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 it's, it's directing us towards what the meaning of what I'm kind of looking at in the, in the conceptual meaning of the record, which is about collectivity and community. And so the fact that there's literal community on that record and singing together, I think is a really important act. So um, yeah, the sonic world is very much expanded with this record too. So I'm excited to go and to play that now live. Was that uh, like a difficult transition to go from that like small, I, I have this by myself, partially like you said, out of financial necessity, but like broadening things and bringing in new people. Is there like, letting go of some things for you oh for sure you got to let go of that vision well no that's not what i want to say no you don't want to let go of the vision you keep the vision but you let go of some of the the holding it tight some of the control i think and that's a it's a beautiful thing because it gets transformed and it changes inevitably through that um yeah but it's it's more it's it's about maybe it's just about releasing into the fact that you can trust if you if you really work with high level collaborators. You know, I was very fortunate to be surrounded, as you said, by Basha and Owen and this choir by really high level collaborators. And when you can just relax into that kind of trust and just like and them to catch you in a musical way, um, that feels so special, you know. And that doesn't that that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very very fortunate with this uh, with this group of collaborators that it that it kind of just it, it, it all it all went together and then and then when stuff happens you know you you're gonna catch each other and and that's uh, that's beautiful. Was building songs from scratch on this record a different experience than you know having those those recordings? Man, yeah, exactly. You're asking all the all the perfect questions because exactly this, you know. Um, with the first record, because I was working with those traditional songs, with those wax cylinders, it was, I mean, it, it was confined, which, or, or there was a constraint around it, which I, not, not to say that's a bad thing, but it's just like, you felt kind of like, oh, I need to keep those melodies as is, or I need to like honor, honor what they are. Um, with this one, because I was using different source material, I wasn't using the old songs. I was using like poems and like, you know, you know, other other forms of of, of inspiration. Um, the melodies were like, you could do whatever you want. You're free. You know, you, you can like uh, you can explore all different kinds of ways of, of putting a song together. And that felt like super exciting. So then in terms of the like sonic landscape of this, you know, like you said, you're working with strings, you're working with a choir. Are you hearing that in your head when you're writing those songs? Or is that, you know, kind yeah. of... So you you do hear like the full picture. I'm a I'm a very much work work backwards kind of person. You know, it's like the song is also the song is also sorry, the song is almost like up there in the air already, and it's been you know you you hear it perfectly the first time, and then but you can't you can't make it yet. You know what I'm saying? Like you hear it, but the it's like uh, the the replicating that feels really far away. And so you come close to it or, you know, me as a pianist, I come close to it, you know, with 10 fingers and 88 keys as close to it as I can. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes it's still not even enough. You're like, that's still not what I heard. And then so you got to take it to a friend, you know, Um, somebody who can bring the strings in or somebody who can share the voice, you know, and have a choir around it. Um, And then it comes a little closer again, still to the vision that you have. 
Um, but that's very much how I work. And it's about uh, kind of not replicating, but just kind of coming a little closer to that, that beautiful thing you heard up front. So I don't like, know if that's strange. I don't know if I'm no. It makes like if you like if you have a vivid dream and then you're trying to like recap or write it down, like it, it's like halting attempts at kind of like getting towards what the bigger thing was. Totally, totally. And maybe you never will, but no, but yeah. the approaching beauty is about as best we can do. Yeah. It, it, so speaking of beauty, uh, I I read an interview you did with Melody Lau, and you're talking about you know even when you are going to put forth some like hard messages that you have to put forward love and beauty at the same time. And that, yeah. like, that seems to be kind of the, the ethos of Madel Wanook, that, like, uh, some hard truths, but, like, put forward in, in, a, in a beautiful way that is going to, like, speak to the heart before it captures the head. You got it, man. Like, that's it. I think it, 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 it all needs to be balanced, right? And so if we're, if we're telling hard stories, like, you know, there's, there's certain tracks that I didn't really release as singles, mm. like uh, The Land That Held Them As They Died or like, well, I did release Ancestors Too Young. But uh, songs like this, it's like it's looking at like genocide and like hard history that we hold together, like all of us do, you know, and with what's come out in the past couple of years, we're all like as a society, I think, like looking more honestly at our shared history. And that's really important because then it contextualizes, you know, what's going on on Portage in Maine, you know, because then we can, as a country, think about like, oh, we just need to be helping each other heal because what happened back there, that was really, I don't know if I can swear on here, but messed up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but do it in beauty. And this is always a fundamental teaching that, that you know, actually people like Maggie Paul have, have really instilled in me from a young age, which is that we must do it in beauty and we must be humble and about what we don't know and what is a mystery to us. Um, these kinds of teachings that have been, you know, laid out in my life and I've been very lucky to, you know, have a relationship to language and culture. Not a lot of our, not, not all of our young people do. Right. So um, trying to give that outward and, and because these teachings are really beautiful because our ways of, of thinking about the world, uh, you know, uh, geologically but also the human world as well you know it, and, and and all the creatures on this anyway i digress indigenous ways are beautiful and i love to share them that's all i'm trying to say i'm here for and, the digressions uh, as well jeremy <laughs> you know what like th this is supposed to be a conversation if you want to go in a digressive way that's i'll, I'll go with you there uh, listen you I'm did sure mention we could talk for hours oh though, gosh so. yeah i know right ancestors too young uh, you mentioned, you know, it's a hard truth one, but you, you released it. It's, you know, addressing the like suicide epidemic and, you know, the struggles of indigenous queer people and two spirit people. Uh, obviously, that's something that's very personal to, to you. In, in I mean, I'm, I'm sure because we've seen it in New Brunswick, we've seen it in Saskatchewan. It was in the election here in Manitoba. Attacks on, yeah. on trans people, on, on the 2SLGBTQIA plus community. Like, did you feel compelled that I need to put this song out, even if it's not necessarily a single that like this, right. this is a voice that needs to be heard right now? Well, it's like, yeah, what these singles and stuff. I don't know. I make records and I write songs, you okay. know, so it's like, you know, they're going to put it out however they want to put it out. Uh, yeah, you, you try to reflect what's going on around you, you know, oh, reflect the, the what's going on in your time. So, you know, I think about, especially, yeah, the province I come from, <laughs> what's going on and the kind of regressive, you know, I worked as a, 
uh, before I was doing music, I actually worked as a LGBT inclusion educator. You know, I was going into schools. I was the I was the bad guy they don't like. You know, I was going and trying to create safer spaces for our young people in schools because I knew how hard it was. <laughs> you know, right. you know, and I knew what that experience was like is not really feeling comfortable or being the only one or you know you know not having a space or a, or a, an adult that I felt I could go to. Um, that's what that's about. You know, that's what all this debate is about, is just having creating a little more safety for people, you know, so that they don't have to feel so isolated in these like small rural places. You know what? You know, the debate's not about downtown Toronto. It's probably not even about Winnipeg. You know, it's about little small towns, you know, where it's like actually you might be the only one. And um I hope that this album full of like queer collectivity and of healing and of magic and all of these things that we're talking about in this record, we can send that towards these little small town rainbow children, you know, and like let them know that on the other side, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And, and so, um, I, yeah, I think a lot about this moment we're in right now and, and, and the fact that we're seeing regression, like, you know, backsliding and people are losing stuff, you know, and we don't have to go too much further than down south to understand that, like, what happened with a woman's right for her body is, you know, that's like, it can all happen here. Yeah. And the trans rights stuff that's been happening in the States is like the parental rights talk. Totally. And we see the same language. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, um, I think we as, you know, Canadians or however we want to talk about ourselves up here, uh, we can view ourselves very separate from 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 down south. What's going on down there feels very far. But uh, we see these movements and we see these players in our political system that are bringing forward messages that are pretty, pretty darn similar to 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 those messages. So I think it's a time that we need to uh, as people from communities that that are all okay uh i i gotta i've been told hold on i just got is this are we live no, no i no, can't no it's tate okay just one second yeah <laughs> oh it's yeah maybe it'll be okay hi hi um, so we can wrap up really short i i'll sorry we may have to yeah I'm just sorry yeah yeah so so i know for a fact our our broadcast range, 1,200 watts, goes into smaller communities, you know, not just pa- past Winnipeg, into the areas that you're talking about. So I'm wondering, should we play Ancestors Too Young to close out the interview, or is there another track off Modelo that you'd like us to play before uh, audiences, you know, come see you on the 28th? Oh, yeah. I hope they do at the Burt. It's going to be so beautiful. I know Ancestors Too Young feels like feels like a, a, a nice exit exodus of 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 emotion and feeling and and kind of captures a lot about what we're talking about mm-hmm. because you know there's there's really beautiful strings on there and there's really beautiful kind of contextual music but i'm really singing like hard out there there's some there's some yelling there's some screaming going on so uh and then uh, i don't know if you play the whole track but if you play to the end you'll hear this trumpet solo and it's just it is like next level so i i, I i'm really inspired um by the resilience of our people and 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 how strong we are even in the face of a lot of stuff and so um 
that's my hope that that when people listen to this and they hear me shouting out and and, and processing grief that that that's an invitation too for them to do that as well and crank it loud and feel the 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 power that music has to like uh, change us to to move us um so uh, that's what I'll offer, and and I hope people can come out and 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 see the the show at the Burt too. I'm very much looking forward to coming back to, uh, oh, this beautiful city of Winnipeg. Well, wonderful. We'll play the whole thing. We'll play the whole thing. We're not going to edit out any yeah. portion of the song. Jeremy, uh, thank you very much for taking some time. Very much looking forward to seeing you back here in Winnipeg and safe travels. Are you going to? Are you? I'll be at the show. Through? Yes. Yeah. Right on. Yes. Come say hi for okay. sure. Okay. If you if you, you got some time. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Take care. Yeah, you too, brother. See you around. Bye.
show.